Servos and welcome back to another episode of the Pro Hockey Pod, uh, episode seven. You know, can't believe there's been seven episodes already, but uh, hopefully more to come. This week, uh, we're joined by a good friend of mine. Um, we met each other in the in the coaching world. I was just starting out. He was definitely a lot more experienced than me at that point. I'd had a long, uh, long playing career uh, in Germany. And as I said, he's done it all. He's been a player. He's been a coach. He's been a GM. Uh, now he's on the other side of it. He's also been a color commentator. So this guy has had every job you can possibly have in hockey. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Mark St. John. Oh, thanks for having me, Andrew. Glad to be here and talk a little bit about my story about doing everything in the hockey business. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it shows that, uh, you know, you're a guy that can handle any any situation, any job that that comes up. So I think it's good experience that you've had throughout your career. Um, to start off, we're going to take it way back. So, you know, you were you were born uh, in Ottawa. Is that where you first learned to, to obviously like play hockey and kind of craft your skills in the game? Well, I was I was born in Ottawa, but we lived at the time in uh, Gatineau, so on the western side of Quebec, just on on the other side of the river in 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 Ottawa. And uh, my dad started doing the outdoor rink, uh, flooding the flooding the ice there. So that's how I actually started. So it was on the on the Quebec side, on the other side of the river. As said, uh, didn't really enjoy hockey at the start. <laughs> Apparently, that's what I was told. Uh, had a bit of a temper as well, so I didn't like kids taking the puck away from me. Uh, one of my actually first memories was uh, playing. Uh, as a seven-year-old and really not enjoying that my teammates were, were taking the puck from me. So I remember slashing one of my own teammates. So that was one of the, the first uh, episodes of my style of hockey, I guess. And um, yeah, stuck with it for a long time. We ended up moving to uh, Orleans, which is on the east side of Ottawa. And that's where basically uh, the, the passion for hockey grew from, from basically a career that wasn't supposed to be one. And I, I guess just the stubbornness and the, the passion for hockey uh, came through at the end. So you said you, you obviously, you know, started a little bit in Gatineau there on the other, on the other side of the border. And then, you know, you moved to Orleans. So like, what was your minor hockey path? Like, like, was it, you know, back then was there still like triple A, double A, single A, or was it just kind of like whatever, you know, smaller towns sometimes only have a certain level. They only go up to because just for the amount of kids and stuff. So what was like your minor hockey path? Yeah. So for us, we, we didn't have triple A in, in the, the Ottawa area. We only had double A. So basically my path from novice all the way to uh, midget was basically, I was always one of the last two cuts on the double A team. So I started off playing as a Ford Till the age of 12. Uh, and like I said, always one of the last cuts. Then with 13, one of the coaches said, hey, you like the rough stuff? You like to hit? We're not allowed to hit yet. We're an Adam, but uh, why don't you try defense and I'll let you hit. So that's sort of how the, the fun began. And, and the following year was peewee, so you could start hitting. So I, I played as a defenseman and, and um yeah, again, was even as a defenseman, always one of the last cuts from the double A teams. And uh, I just always enjoyed playing hockey, would be at the outdoor rink uh, pretty much every day. Could walk there from home, uh, would go right out right after school. And um, 
yeah, that's basically the path in, in minor hockey. So um, whenever I turned 16, I hit a growth spurt. So most of the time I was an average size or smaller. And then after hitting a growth spurt with 16, it was like some people started noticing me. Um, played my first year midget double A. So it was the first time I made the double A team. But with 16, most of the guys go up and play junior A or junior B in the Ottawa area. So I guess made some room for me. I also played high school hockey, which was at the time pretty competitive. Uh, actually, most of the players on on the double A teams also played high school. So it was a bit of a rivalry, uh, me going to French high school and then with the English high school. So there was some, some good battles out there. Uh, and ended up actually splitting our, our midget double A team because half the team was one high school and the other one the other high school. And uh, we had lots of battles, but uh, that's sort of my minor hockey path. So um, for sure, I think from, from all the teams I played for uh, in minor hockey, all the guys that made it double A, I want to say I'm one from two who actually ended up playing pro or getting a scholarship. So uh, I guess the stubbornness and determination paid through at the end. Well, it's also, I've talked about this with a couple other people. It's just kind of like being in a situation to play. So like in your case, you know, you were always like one of the last two guys getting cut, which I'm sure as a kid is very, you know, frustrating and, and sometimes hard to take, but it's also about being able to go into a situation where, okay, if I played, you know, double A, for example, as a sixth defenseman, you know, am I going to get the ice time that I would get at the single A level? And am I going to play in the same situations at the double A level that I probably would the single A level that might benefit my my growth as a hockey player more, especially at a young age? Yeah, probably in the long run, that would have would have paid off. The other thing I think uh, that really brought some re resiliency is just being cut every year and being let down. I think that was something that... Uh, it's been sort of the story of my life, always always being cut for, for something or, or something not working like, like it should. And I think just being used to it at such a young age, you have a mindset now that it's like, hey, okay, there's a reason it happens. And uh, all you got to do is put your head down and keep going forward. Perseverance pays off. Um, so after minor hockey... So obviously time to make the jump to junior and you you played basically three years, at least on Elite Prospects, maybe four if there's one not there, of of tier two junior in the in the Ottawa League there in the CJHL. But you also played a game for Hull in the QMJHL. Um kind of want to talk about that because obviously, you know, back then you have to make a choice. Like it's either, hey, I'm gonna go play major junior, whether it's OHL, QMJHL, WHL, or I'm gonna try to get a scholarship. And you evidently ended up doing both. I mean, you just got your 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 toe a little bit wet in, in the queue, but can you share that story, how you end up getting the game and still able to get a scholarship after that? Yeah, so it's, it's kind of a crazy story. Um, um, I played junior B uh, when I was 17 and then again hit another growth spurt. So I was getting bigger. And uh, after a year junior B, people were sort of noticing me now. Hey, who's this kid now? He's pretty big, defenseman. Uh, he's got a mean streak and a pretty good shot. So um, through uh, Claude Julien, 
a very successful coach from Orleans. So where I was growing up, he would always run camps uh, for midget, Bantam to midget players and also had a pro camp too as well in Orleans. And uh, just through his connection, I actually had a best friend of mine who was the goalie at the time, Christian Bronsard. Uh, they invited me to go to the camp. Um, and for me, uh, the Hall Olympics was basically the Montreal Canadiens or Toronto Maple Leafs of my childhood. So growing up on, on the Gatineau side, my dad would always take me to go watch the junior games in, in halls. So for me, I saw guys uh, like Martin Jelena play, uh, uh, even later Jeremy Roenick, guys like that. So uh, Hall was for me sort of like the, the holy grail, which I never thought I would uh, get to be a part of. And uh, that year, the, the Hall Olympics were hosting the Memorial Cup. And we talk about timing and everything. So basically, I get invited to their camp. And I um, was told from my buddy, hey, you should fight a little bit so that they notice you. So um, I had actually not gotten in a fight previously to that. And I was, I was actually 18 at the time. So I went to the camp and had my first fight. On, the, on my second scrimmage, I remember after the first scrimmage, um, Claude Julien actually walked up to me and he said, hey, uh, what's the matter with you? Do you have some glue in your in, in your gloves? Why, why aren't you dropping them? So that's for me like, okay, that's the signal. I know what I have to do. So I ended up uh, pretty much scrapping my way onto the team. And it was a team that was obviously loaded with, with, uh, with uh, the Memorial Cup being hosted there. So a tough team to make. Um, also, you're not one of their drafted kids. So it's like you you don't have the advantage that these other younger kids that are a year younger have, which are trying to make the team, which were drafted by a scout. So again, the whole timing and, and, and connection factor was there. So I ended up uh, playing their first, the, the first home game there. So I had lots of friends in the stands. It was a packed rink. I ended up fighting too, obviously, and um, it was kind of kind of uh, a surreal experience. I remember being actually on the ice for the last minute, uh, and we were up three two. So I guess they must have liked or trusted me uh, to play there. So um, after that, a bunch of cuts came down from the NHL and the American League, so the team sort of got filled up. I ended up sticking around for about a month was a healthy scratch for a lot of the games. And then uh, they just said, Hey, we'll send you back to junior a, and then we'll see what happened. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we were also thinking, Hey, maybe I should go to another team. I know Sherbrooke was interested at the time, but Hall wanted to keep me for the following year. I went back to junior a and played in, in Gloucester and had a, a pretty decent year, really offensively sort of, took off. Um, I think my body sort of caught up strength-wise and, and, and just the confidence of going to a major junior camp uh, kicked in because I never thought I would end up playing major junior. Even junior A for me was like, no, I'll, I'll never make it there. But um, with 16, 17, things sort of aligned. And um, then I ended up, yeah, so I ended up playing a junior in Gloucester, got traded to Hawkesbury, and then uh, going to Hawkesbury was the last place team. And um, I remember in the summer after we finished last place, 
the coaches there, they, they sort of asked me, hey, what do you think about our team and everything? And I gave my honest opinion. And all of a sudden, the summer, things started changing there. Um, the one thing I do have to say from my experience in Hull and and, and uh, practicing there for, for close to three months, I had never really had a D coach in my life. And that's something I tell a lot of people. Most of the times in minor hockey, you have uh, a coach, a head coach who's a was a Ford, and he coaches the Ford, and and whatever dad just wants to run the D runs the D, and probably never played D or anything like that. So really, when I was eighteen, having Claude Julien, who played NHL uh, for the Quebec Nordiques and had a, a solid NHL career, he was the first defenseman really to to teach me the art of playing defense. And in those three months, I had learned more than in my, my whole minor hockey career. So it was sort of like late timing, but uh, really learned a lot. And I think uh, his track record speaks for itself for, for what he's done in, in the business. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, as you said, it was maybe a little late, but you just kind of soaked it all in. And, and at the end of the day, it probably helped you take those steps forward. And, you know, even though you kind of doubted yourself, like, hey, major junior never thought i'd be there tier two junior whatever but you know you just kept every year proving people wrong maybe even proving yourself wrong a little bit gaining confidence and like your last few years a junior um over 400 penalty minutes i must say so you were uh you were uh not afraid to to you know drop the gloves use a lumber whatever it is stick up for teammates which i back then especially i think was guys would appreciate that but you still as a defenseman you know you're putting up 49 48 points at, at this point in your career so you're getting to kind of the last couple of years of tier two junior had your thought of going back to major junior just kind of got out the window and then were you starting to transition more to at the time maybe cis u sports because you had played a game in, in the queue or was there back then was it more like hey you could still go in ncaa like it's not like as uh, uh strict as it is today well basically what happened is after uh getting sent back to junior A from Hull. And they were basically telling me next year, you know, we're going to have a, a brand new team. Most of these guys are going to leave after this, after the Memorial Cup, and uh, we can see you fitting in. So I ended up going back to camp there. And then uh, they decided, you know what, we're going to rebuild and go with young kids. So we're going to go ahead and send you back to junior A. So I went back to to junior A and sort of, had a, a solid year there, and that's where the NCAA scouts started noticing me as well. So you'd get a, a scout that would talk to you, and then as soon as you'd hear the major junior story, it'd be like, oh, well, you know, not sure we want to burn a year with, with this guy redshirting. So uh, there was a lot of talks on that side, and after a year, a year of sort of being let down, I had actually written my SATs in, in case this would happen. Uh, I thought the following year um, I'll probably end up going CIAU, um, which the University of Ottawa had approached me at the time. And uh, I was actually pretty convinced about going there. And uh, the coach at the time came to my house and uh, my best friend was actually there too. He's living at our place and he was playing uh, American League at the time. And then uh, we had a discussion with the coach and sort of the straight up questions, ice time and everything. And uh, 
it ended up not going well. It wasn't a good discussion. <laughs> and then I decide, you know what, I'll go back to junior A and see what will happen. Maybe I'll get a, uh, an opportunity to go play somewhere else, CIAU. My last year at junior, we had a pretty stacked team. Um, there was still once in a while NCAA scouts that would talk to me, but it was the same story. As soon as they'd hear the major junior, then uh, they'd shy away from that. So we ended up winning uh, the Junior A Ottawa League. Uh, I was captain of that team. And then the Fred Page Cup, which is basically the Eastern Junior A Championship, where the winner would go to the Royal Bank Cup. Uh, was in PI, and um, if you don't have a, a a scholarship in the U.S. and you don't have major junior experience, then you're not getting any money as well. So uh, I always heard that you know there's some ways to to, to get some money to go uh, to university out east and play there. Uh, they they bring you to hockey camps in the summer where you work, get some money so you pay for the university. So I was sort of set on uh, a path towards playing uh, university hockey in Canada out east. Uh, so we went to the tournament. Uh, I had a great tournament. And we had another guy on our team who was top scorer. And uh, new NCAA program, Wayne State University, uh, went there to scout him. And it just so happened that I had three game, great games uh, as, as the head coach was there. And he was starting a brand new new program. Bill Wilkinson was a long time at Western Michigan. And he had to start a program from scratch. And the first year didn't really count. You weren't in a, a league or anything like that. So after having a good tournament, uh, he approached me. I was also approached by St. Mary's, Moncton, PEI. That were also interested. And I just thought, you know what? I always wanted to go uh, to the U.S., play NCAA. This was a chance, a new program. Uh, they were going to give me a full ride, even though I was going to sit out a year. And uh, after that, I had just made the decision, you know what? Let's, let's go to the States. We went to visit Detroit. It was quite the interesting visit. <laughs> I don't think it was a typical... Uh, university campus uh, visit. Most of the students there are commuters. So the campus is not that special or wasn't at the time. It's right in downtown. So uh, a lot of street people hanging around. <laughs> uh, we, they didn't even have a rink. So the plan was they, they had showed me the, uh, the arena that they were, they were going to build a, a put a rink inside an old rodeo and circus um, building. So we were actually in there. There was a circus going on. <laughs> and it had a sort of a, a neat vibe, sort of like a Tiger Stadium, old Tiger Stadium vibe. And uh, they ended up putting a brand new rink in there and uh, new dressing rooms and turning this into a, a great facility. So. Um, that was the that was the start of the the new chapter going to the U.S. and and being ready to to redshirt a, a full year and just practice to, just to get the chance to play NCAA. 
a lot to cover there. Before we talk about the the actual NCAA experience, you know, at Wayne State, I wanted to ask you. So back, like back to kind of the last part of junior there, like when you were growing up, like was was there still that stigma of, hey, it's major junior or, or nothing like NCAA? I feel like back then NCAA, at least in in my experience, like. I grew up in Peterborough, so I knew the OHL. You obviously grew up uh, like Gatineau area, so you knew like QMJHL. I felt like back then it was like a lot of people were really like, hey, I need to make the OHL or QMJHL because that's going to get me fastest NHL. And then after that, it was like, if I burn eligibility, okay, I guess I'll go CIS and whatever, CIAU. And like, was was NCAA hockey like a lot of people talking about it in, in your experience? Because like in my experience, I only heard it from like my best friend's dad. Before that, as I said, it was OHL or nothing. But like in your experience, was it something always on your radar? Uh, I mean, for me, it was the OHL Quebec Major Junior. We had the Ottawa 67s there as well, which I'd go watch. And I had friends that played there. So you sort of had that, like you said, the idea that you have to go to one of these leagues get drafted and that's the only path to go to pro and make the NHL. I think that's sort of the the mentality. My parents were never, you know, aware of rules, NCAA rules, or like even like for them, it was just like, I think they were actually surprised that I was getting this far as well with my, with, uh, with my hockey. So uh, we never even really considered, Hey, what happens if he, you know, he plays the, a game major junior and then he can't go NCAA that wasn't even a thought like I said for us we'd go watch the Olympics as as a kid I'd go there with my dad and it was just great memories seeing seeing that type of hockey and as a, as a small kid you're just such an awe so whenever Claude Julien had asked me to go try out for them I was like there was no hesitation at all um I actually know some players that were like, hey, you got to be make sure with the NCAA. And I was like, you know what? Nobody's even talked to me in my career at all about NCAA or major junior or anything like that. So I'm like, hey, this is like, this might be a once in a lifetime opportunity. So I just decided to take it. Oh, that's that's fair to say. And then now time of Wayne State so obviously as you said because if you played a game you had to redshirt a year so that was the rule so that you could be so technically I was going to say one of my questions was did you feel going as a 21 year old freshman helped you but I should say going as a 22 year old because you ended up sitting the first year like do you we, we joke but do you think like kind of going later to college kind of prepared you in a sense for everything that came with it like being in that as you said it wasn't a, a traditional college campus it's a new school you know, they just basically put together a, a rink in a in a circus tent, rodeo hall, or whatever. And then also, like your first year playing, you're 22 years old, so you've also now sat a season. You know, do you feel being older kind of prepared you for the the college game because it is an older game? Like you're playing as guys between the ages of 21 or 19 to, to 24 normally. Yeah, it, it sort of did, but it was like I think physically you're way more ahead than a, an 18 year old that's just starting uh college but uh actually what what what's interesting is like the story about getting to my first game which uh was also kind of another adversity that I had to get to so what happened is uh I sat out a full year 
just practice the whole year. I think I got to play one game. Uh, it was an exhibition game. Uh, so I sat out the first year. Actually, our home opener in Detroit, uh, Gordy Howe was there. And uh, I was on the sidelines and he sort of asked me, hey, how come you're not playing? And then we got chatted, chatting and then he said he had to sit out one year and it was tough. And he sort of gave me like, hey, don't give up type of thing. So that's just another surreal story there, meeting Gordy Howe in, in Detroit. But um, so I ended up sitting out a full year. And then in the summer before the year I was supposed to play. So what happens is you you sit out a year in the number of games you played. So I'd played seven exhibition games and one regular season game. So technically you're supposed to sit out a year in eight games. So in the, the summer before I was able to play, uh, we got a new athletic director and he had asked me, hey, do you have any proof about the major junior thing just to make sure we can get you clear? And um, I got the Olympics to send over the contract I had signed whenever I played for them. So played the one game and I was actually over 18 when I signed it. So you're considered an adult, you're over 18, you signed a, what they consider a professional contract. You just sat out a year and in the past, there's never been a player over the age of 18 that had a signed contract played major junior and then was allowed to play NCAA. All these cases where contracts were signed were of players that were 15, 16, so minors. So he ended up sending this contract to the NCAA and right away the flags went up, red flag, he's 18. Um, you know, he can't play, he's not allowed, he's not allowed to play, he can't, even though he redshirted. He signed this contract as an adult. So all of a sudden, I just sat out a full year of university. Uh, we're three months in, and now they're telling me that I did this all for nothing. So it was basically, there goes my, my scholarship. There goes the dream of playing NCAA hockey. Even didn't know where I would end up playing hockey after that. So... Um, I ended up having to go, not in front of court, but in front of the NCAA. So it's basically I had to write a a letter back in uh, to the NCAA. And the good thing that had helped me was back in when I was eighteen. Uh, I had a neighbor in Orleans that worked for uh, Peter Shirelli. Peter Shirelli was a a, a lawyer previously and then he went into the hockey world and he was also an agent and he had written a letter for me to the NCAA saying hey I realized I made this mistake I do want to go on and play uh, NCAA at some point so we had just done this through my neighbor and, and, and just luck and, and whatnot and, and the NCAA actually had this letter so they had this letter that I wrote when or that was written when I was 18. Then I wrote another one when I was 21. And um, it was basically a court case. You had to go there. There was a panel of eight people that asked you different questions. 
Uh, it was about an hour call. And then at the end, they were going to make their decision whether or not I would able, be able to pursue my my uh, hockey career at NC at uh, at Wayne State. So another kind of a crazy adversity <laughs> that happened to me. And uh, it ended up, I got a call uh, the next day saying, hey, you're in, you can play this weekend. And, uh, and that was the start, basically, my NCAA career with Wayne State. My, my first game, I actually got tossed out in the first period. My grandfather came down from, from Hamilton to come see me play. The whole family was there. And I think it was maybe my third shift. I just smoked some of you from behind and got tossed out. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, kind of a, a funny story. But uh, the, the one year of sitting out definitely hurt hockey-wise just – you know, the way you think the game, if you're just practicing, 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 it's one thing, but certainly uh, it took a while to, for me to adjust. Title of this episode should be uh, Mr. Adversity, because it seems like, <laughs> <laughs> it seems like every, every story you have is about something that possibly could have went wrong and you got through it. But uh, no, like, I, yeah, that definitely would have made it tough, like not playing hockey for a year, basically, like practice and games are completely different. But I felt like, just looking at your your stats and stuff like you were able to each year you know take that step forward take that step forward so like by your senior year you know 24 points as a defenseman in 36 games is pretty pretty good and i and i think that also you know by then you were playing you know kind of better better hockey you'd able to progress every year and it helped you kind of transition, which eventually you went into right after was the the pro game. And I've talked to a couple of guests about this. So being an undrafted player uh, going into the pro game. So back then it was you had the UHL as well as the ECHL and stuff. Can you talk about kind of that year and a half of doing that, that grind, I will say, because especially back then, I'm assuming it was just, you know, pretty crazy, something that you... Uh, you know, able to play play through and obviously learn from before heading to Europe. Yeah, no, I think that uh, whenever I was playing NCAA, I always knew that that would be the next step. I didn't, didn't even consider, you know, not going pro somehow at whatever level. Uh, even I think we ended up making the uh, the uh, Sweet Sixteen NCAA my last year. And then for me, that was like, hey, that's another great, great opportunity to show myself, maybe for the pros. We ended up with Wayne State winning all three years, the CHA division championship. Uh, my last year, I was MVP. So um, I thought, hey, perfect timing again, maybe get noticed. Uh, and then one of the things that I, I always think is sort of like in your career whether it's business or or hockey you sort of always get people that get put in your path and one of the things I was doing when I was at NCAA is every summer I'd go work hockey camps so I, I ended up making a, a good connection with Bob Hartley I'd go work his hockey camp in Hershey Pennsylvania and then he'd do one in Hawkesbury I would also uh, do Jacques Martin and others so these are both Ottawa coaches that are in the NHL so I would do his camp as well uh, so again, talking to these guys, seeing how they are and, and, you know, a guy like Bob Hartley, he'd bring me out on the ice one-on-one -on -one and do drills and stuff like that. And that just showed the type of person that he is, you know, 
Here's a Stanley Cup winning coach. He's running a, a, a kid's camp in Hershey, Pennsylvania with 250 kids. It's a 24-hour job because he's always there, and then he'd still take an hour of his time to go on the ice and do stuff with me. So um, whenever I stop uh, NCAA that summer, I actually got drafted in the UHL, which I didn't even know there was a draft. So after we got kicked out and uh, losing to to Mich to uh, Colorado College at Sweet Sixteen, um, two weeks later I got a call from Elmira in the United Hockey League saying, "Hey, we drafted you. You want to come and play a couple of games with us in the playoffs?" So I ended up playing a couple of games with them. They were playing against Fort Wayne. Ended up losing, and then in the summer it was sort of like, okay. Where do I go from here? And uh, uh, Bob had come through to get me a tryout in, in Atlanta. He was coaching Atlanta at the time, the Thrashers. And actually, Peter Shirelli, who had remembered me because of that letter back then, he was in, in Ottawa, and he invited me to the Ottawa camp. So kind of a neat story. And uh, I felt just because of the the chance and, and the support and the time that, that Bob had 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 with me and everything. That's why I decided to go to Atlanta. Obviously, you're just a you know a tryout. You're not a drafted kid or anything. But it was kind of neat to see that whole experience. Uh, did the camp, then I went to Chicago, the American League, and then got cut from there too. And then you end up in the East Coast, and it's sort of like, okay, well, where do I go? So. Uh, I had about five teams that were interested, and then I decided to go to Charlotte because the year before they were affiliated with New York Rangers, and then you sort of, it's a lot of luck and timing. You go to the right place, right coach, get the call-ups. You know, I never saw the NHL as, as a possibility, but the American League, I thought, you know, there's a chance I can go there and play. So my goal was to play, get called up in the American League and sort of try to stick there. Um, the the pro game is totally different than the NCAA where you're playing the two games, you're going to school, traveling. You have a lot more free time, uh, but the traveling can be very grueling, especially in the East Coast Hockey League. Uh, not much time to work out and stuff like that. So it was a, it was a different grind and just a, another level where you have to get adjusted took me actually uh, quite a while to get adjusted. I think uh, I scored my first goal after 23 games, and it actually ended up being a hat trick that game. So my first pro goal was also my first pro hat trick and my only hat trick of my career ever. So kind of a, a funny story. And um, at the trade deadline, it was kind of a rough year uh, with the coaches and New York wasn't going well. So that sort of trickles down. Our coach ended up getting fired. He was mad at everybody. Nobody was getting called up. Uh, the new guy came in who was the assistant coach. And he basically said, well, you guys all had call-ups during the year. You had one there, you had one there, but he was always saying no because he was pissed off at how the team was playing. So he wasn't letting anybody get called up. So again, sort of a timing thing. I ended up getting traded to Atlantic City, which they had won 
the East Coast Hockey League Championship the previous year and were actually in first place. And uh, went over there and uh, didn't really adjust too well. And then sort of after that, I said, you know what, this the grind over here is a, bit, a little bit too much. Not sure I want to keep doing this. Uh, I had considered Europe, going to Europe, but I had also applied for a, for a job in the summer. So uh, I had done my summer uh, work construction and then uh, got a call in at the end of July from, from Larry Mitchell, who was uh, an agent at the time, saying, hey, there's a team in Germany that would be interested to, to get you. Um, I had also gotten the job at the at the bank, which uh, the bank manager had actually called Bob Hartley <laughs> and uh, for a recommendation. And she had said in her 35 years of working, she had never heard such a good recommendation. And I think Bob had actually offered to pay my full salary if I'm not, if I wasn't half the the, the guy that uh, she thought I was. So uh, again, kind of a funny story. Uh, involving people that are put in your path. So, um, yeah, so I talked to a lot of people and ended up deciding to go to, to Europe, to Germany, which the plan was to play one year, but obviously I ended up staying a lot longer. Well, just looking back, like I, that year in the coast, like obviously, as you said, it was, it was a grind and, uh, you ended up getting traded kind of at the end there, but for your first full year pro, I mean, as a as a defenseman, you, know, you put up twenty eight points. Like I, I don't think that's you know terrible by any means. That's probably a very good point production. And I wanted to ask so right away, like you had said, okay, after this year, like I'm done with this grind. Like either I'm going to go get a the real job, so whether it was at the bank or I'm going to go to Europe. Like you didn't want to, in a sense, try one more year to say, hey, I, if I can build on this year, maybe I can get that call up to the AHL. Yeah, I think when I look back, I think I came over here too early. I should have gave it a, a shot another year. You never know what happens. And I mean, if you do en end up getting called up somewhere and somebody likes you, which, you know, a lot of a lot of times in hockey, it's the breaks. And, and if there's a coach somewhere that likes you, he'll bring you up to the American League uh, or injuries or stuff like that. So looking back, if I would do it over again, I would definitely – play another year and just grind it out and just see where it takes you. Because at the end, you know, if I did end up going to, to Europe and maybe getting a call up or having a, a better season in the East coast means, you know, you get a, a contract in the higher league in Europe, whether it's the DL or Austria or whatnot, uh, Sweden, those are sort of the breaks you look back on that, you know, uh, Shoulda, woulda, coulda, maybe, but doesn't always happen that way. But looking back, definitely, uh, I should have stuck out another year to see where it brings me, uh, just to give it a shot. Because like I said, NHL was never anything I thought that would be possible. But again, maybe getting called up in the, the AHL. And we actually had a, a player when I played in the coast. He started in the coast, won the AHL, and got called up for one game in the NHL. That was one game in the NHL. You know, I think that's uh, the dream of every Canadian kid growing up, getting called up there or playing in the NHL. So um, I think, like I said, looking back, probably sticking another year would have would have probably been better career-wise. 
I think it's easy, as you said, it's easy to look back now and say that like at the time, you know, it could have been, you know, you don't get off to a good start, then maybe those Europe offers aren't there as well. So like, I think you can make an argument for every, every side of it, but obviously after you, you know, you make the decision to go to Europe and you end up playing the next eight years uh, in Germany, both in the, in the second league and in the, in the third league. Um, and Larry Mitchell, who evidently was an agent at the time, he ended up being your head coach in, uh, in Landsberg there, I believe. But, uh, how was the hockey back then, especially, you know, in the, in the two different leagues, because obviously, you know, me, I hear stories of, you know, the money being thrown around and for some teams in the, in the second league, especially back then. And even the third league, you know, like it's, I think it's a little different than it is today. Like maybe today it's a little more spread out but back then like could you were both leagues like pretty pretty competitive and any team could beat any team on any night yeah, well i think when i look back at like even um the third league when i came over here you were able you were able to have five imports i think it was five imports for the third league and six for the second league and the dl was nine so it was still a good league. I mean, if you're putting that many imports over here and um, yeah, look at, looking at it, I mean, money wise, I think I don't see a huge change to be honest with you with what I had heard guys were making. I mean, as far as salary wise, it's like when you hear one guy's making a lot of money in one team and you think, Oh, they're all making that. So, but uh, I don't think it has changed that much from 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 what I've heard and, and, and seen. But um certainly hockey wise it was different because of the import rules and, and um just just the way the hockey was. And um yeah going back playing for, for Larry who actually he's the agent who got me over here and then after my first year he said hey I'm gonna coach next year come and play for me. So it's kind of a uh, a neat thing and obviously his career really took off after that well, i wanted to comment too on is like you were part of i believe two teams that are like were promoted so you at least on league prospects it says like landsberg was in the third league then the next year they went to the second league and then also with with tolls so you know you were able to at least go to a couple teams and and help them have good years in the third league. and the next year the reward was hey go to the second league so for me that shows you know obviously you were part of a, a winning a winning culture and we're on some successful teams yeah no i think those were were, were always fun teams to, to be a part whenever you win i mean even looking back uh looking at winning in junior even university i mean it was one division but we still won it every year and going to Landsberg winning there later on going back to bad tolls winning there and then sort of learning what type of characters you need to 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 win championships and go far is something that I always brought with me and notice and um, whenever I ended up hanging them up and, and and later on going the coaching and GM. And so always players, I look like, Hey, you sort of look for winners, guys with the right character. So um, certainly those were things that always stuck with me uh, as far as what kind of people you need to, to surround yourself to be successful. 
I wanted to ask too. So when I've talked to some other people who've played in in Germany, you know, back back around that time, like it seemed very common that you know, either guys would play somewhere for maybe half a year, then switch somewhere. Like there was a lot of, I feel like moving around back then for players. And it, it could have been for many reasons. Like some teams obviously would go bankrupt. A guy would have to switch. And the next year, all this money would come back. That team would be back in. Like in your experience, was it, did you see a lot of guys like changing, especially in, in, in your playing days in Germany? Uh, Yeah, it's sort of, because just the contracts are different here. You have a one-year contract. So it's not like you're in the, East Coast or American, where American League, where if they don't like you or if it's not working out, you can talk to your agent and say, "Hey, trade me or send me somewhere else." Or, I mean, usually you're you get a contract, you're stuck, and even if it doesn't work out, the money's good, so you just stick it out and say, "Who cares? You can't do anything." Uh, me on that side, if if it wasn't beneficial and I wasn't having fun, then. It was like, okay, let's move on. And that's what happened. The one year in Ravensburg was just a bad timing. Uh, had gone operated in the summer, a second elbow surgery, which that was another topic of my career in Germany, nonstop surgeries in the summer. So, uh, yeah, it was just a bad timing. And then I decided, hey, bad tolls uh, to go there. And then there was actually another year where I had gotten a last-minute knee surgery whenever I was in Heilbronn. And then, um, yeah, things weren't clicking too well with, with the, the the management and the coaching there. So uh, it was also there to think it was better to, to part ways than to, to stick it out. But, again, it's sort of a timing thing. And, and you see it every year, I think, here in, in – uh, in Europe where, Hey, if it's not working with a player, that's just part ways. Most of the times the team gets a new player that the player gets a new team, same thing. So it usually ends up working out the best for the both. And, uh, evidently you ended up getting your, your German pass, uh, while playing in Germany. I do want to talk about, cause <laughs> I've heard this story so many times and I, I think it's so funny and I think the listeners would love it too, but can you explain what was happening when, the final yeah. processes of this. <laughs> so basically what had happened is uh, I was able to apply for my German citizenship in the summer. Uh, the team in Heilbronn was pretty upset with me because of my, they had found out I needed knee surgery. I got knee surgery in, in, in June and the June camp started August. I did the whole camp. Obviously you lose a lot of muscle whenever you get operated. And uh, probably should have just sat out and, and, and worked on my leg, but stubborn me just said, no, I'll help the team out. And I skated and was basically playing on one leg. And in the meantime, I had applied for, for my German citizenship. Uh, after two regular season games, I was brought into the coach's office, told that the GM was gone to his lawyer and they were going to tear up my contract and then um that uh, my season was over with that team and i should go look for another team so uh i went home and we had actually had practice that day and uh in germany it's sort of like if you don't show up to practice then it gives them a, a reason to 
to uh, tear up the contract without having to pay you out. So I actually ended up going back to practice that that time. And then uh, obviously the coach wasn't too happy that I was there. So he decided the best thing for me was to, to bag skate me uh, at the end of every practice for a half hour, trying to get me to break down and quit. But again, the, the stubbornness of being cut all those years and pe- being told you're not going to get anywhere came through. And after three weeks, uh, I ended up breaking down that coach where he wouldn't even bag skate me anymore. He would just say, you know, the routine. And then I'd go out and do it on, on my own. So three weeks of doing that. And then he came back and figured out, hey, we can't, we can't get rid of him. He has a contract. I had done all the physical testing. Sure, my knee was was not strength-wise where it it should have been at the start, but it was just a question of time. And then all of a sudden, I was back in the lineup. And um, like I said, I applied for my German pass and ended up getting my German pass probably the day before I was put in the, in the lineup. So uh, being stubborn and bitter, I decided to not tell anybody that I had my German pass and kept playing for for a good uh, three and a half months as an import where I was a, a German. And then meanwhile, just said, you know what, that's enough. I'm, I need to find another team. I have a German pass now and ended up going to uh, signing in, in Schwenigen. That's a, that's a classic German story for me. <laughs> like that. That's hilarious, but good for you, obviously. Uh you know, persevere through it as we talked about. And in the end, uh, you know, they end up losing out on a guy, a right-handed German defenseman. So for me, that's, uh, those are unicorns. So yeah, we always good. talked about that. The right-handed German defenseman, there's not too many of those around, but, uh, yeah, no, it's just a situation. And I get, I guess at some point when you're old enough and, and you, I mean, the hockey business is hockey business. Uh, I understand that side. Being on both sides, at the end of the day, I think, you know, it's still people you're working with. Sometimes you try things, they don't work. And, and you know, sometimes you think, oh, we can break this person down. And really, they, they show that they're, they're, they're stubborn and resilient. So that was just one of those things where I thought that, uh, you know, they never gave me the chance, never appreciated the value that I had. So. I decided to not inform them that I had a, a German pass and kept playing as an import till uh, till January. So, yeah. Well, it must have felt pretty good. And then, uh, you know, obviously you played a couple more years there. And then, like, we know this. I, I believe you you had to stop playing just because of uh, injuries. Like, I, I, you, were, you suffered a bad concussion, correct? Yeah. So, I think many hockey players are, who's heard the bad stories about guys ending their careers or having a, a concussion that lasts longer time. Uh, that nightmare was my reality, how I ended up my, my hockey career. I actually was considered maybe, you know, there's I maybe got a year or two left. We'll see. And then uh, just one game and Bremer often just basically got hit, like gotten hit thousands of times in my career and just fell awkwardly on the back of my head and um yeah suffered some some balance nerve damage uh also eye issues and uh 
after that was basically two years of hell, uh, having 24 hour headaches, uh, dizziness, double vision, uh, you know, light sensibility, um, the whole program, pain, just nonstop, no medication would help being sent from one, uh, doctor to the other or doing one physiotherapy to the other all over Germany, went to Canada, met some people there and just, uh, there's no miracle cure for this. Uh, but just with trying so many different things, eventually after two years, things got a little bit better where I said, Hey, I, I need to get just for my sanity, get back into the hockey. Um, you know, also when you have a, a concussion like that and, you know, small kids at home, it's a recipe for disaster as well, uh, where you're half the day in, in the dark, just trying to get, not think about the massive headache you have. So it was a, it was a tough time where it was a lot of baby steps trying to move forward. And then eventually um, I got into contact with Beatingheim here in the, in the area. Good friend of mine, who's now a ref in the, DL, uh, Basti Steingross. Yeah, I had played with him in, in uh, Drazen where I had my concussion. I called him up, said, hey, maybe you guys need an assistant coach. Don't need any money. I just want to do something. So I started out doing that. I would do one practice and do both games behind the bench at the start. It eventually got a little bit more. And after the first year of being an assistant coach, they said, co-head coach at the time and, and and the managing director said hey you you know all the players you know the league why don't you start building the team for us and uh my second year ended up getting a lot of guys that i knew going back to those winning characters and, and uh we ended up in that first year finishing first place and and winning the league but unfortunately, uh, you weren't able to move up at that time, so we wanted to ended up staying in the second league again. Oh, I was going to comment on that. Like, I believe you worked in in BDCAM for seven seasons, uh, you know, as assistant coach, and eventually also like sport manager, as you said after that that first year. And I mean, your resume or record, whatever you want to call it, speaks for itself. I mean, seven years there. I believe five finals appearances and uh, evidently two championships, uh, one against me uh, still hurts, but uh, I just want to like, that must've felt, you know, as you said, like you knew the league because you, you'd played in it the past eight years before transitioning off to the other side or still new guys in the league. Like, I feel like that was such an advantage and BD kind of obviously saw that in you, like this is someone who knows the players uh, knows how people are as teammates as well as how their character is and obviously gave you that uh that permission to uh or power to to build these teams and it must like looking back it must look like pretty good like being like yeah like you know couldn't really get any better like yeah maybe win all five times you were in the final but that's not uh you know, yeah which which to be honest with you it would have been possible if it weren't for for injuries and mm -hmm. i mean anybody who's won a championship so anywhere knows there's a lot of, of luck and timing and, and bounces and breaks that, that need to go the right way, but still going to the finals uh, five years in a row. And I mean, to me, looking back, that was a lot of uh, 
you know, collective group with, with Kevin Gadet uh, being the head coach and his successful coaching style as well and, and learning from him and, and the, the fact that he trusted me to be like, yeah, you go get the players and, you know, you do that and I'll coach them. And we sort of really uh, were a solid team there together, which uh, uh, those five years working with him really learned a lot from him. I have to say, like, just having someone who, like, has that trust in you, you know, like, it's not like you had been working in the business on that side for, you know, 10 years or something like you were new to that side of it, but you had played in the league, as I said. So like, for someone like Kevin, who obviously has a really good resume as a coach to be like, hey, you build a team, I trust you. And together, I believe, like, you know, if everything works out, like, we're going to be a good team every year, be have a chance every year to win a championship. Like that must've felt like, I don't, I don't know how to say that, but like it basically like having that confidence so early on, it must've been such an easier working environment than like, you know, right away being like feeling under the gun or something. Yeah, no, I think I think it's just like one for, for, for the people there to recognize, Hey, this guy knows a lot about the league, knows a lot about players and, and has some, a good net, network in ice hockey so let, let's give it a shot right you know and and i remember going there and and uh, one of the first things he had asked me what do you think about my team what do you think about these players and i could give a scouting report on all these guys i ha- having played against them or heard how they were character wise and stuff like that so um obviously from the start it was like oh okay well this guy knows what he's talking about and, um <laughs> just working with the guys too. I think that it's something you, you build step by step. And then we, we had a, a really good system going on there, which, which obviously brought us always in the finals and, and the two championships there. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, again, we talk about luck timing, right. People, people being put in your path. And for me, Kevin was, was certainly one of them, uh, for my coaching career. You guys definitely always had a good base in, in B to Kaiman. What I mean is like the core, you know, every year would, would come back and maybe each year you'd have to, I don't know, change two, three, four pieces depending on, you know, performance or maybe someone's retiring, going somewhere else, whatever. But I felt that was the reason every you guys were able to be so successful. Or one of the reasons was because that core would stay together. Everyone knew, you know, playing with each other, that familiarity, they're all good guys in the room. Um, I know personally, like playing against you guys in the finals that one year, like we had a really good team. We finished first that year, but I felt like you guys were built for that playoff hockey where we were more built for the season where, you know, there's more free ice. You can do what you want. And then when you get into those games where it's, it's tight, there's a lot more checking. Like that's when you guys started to each game thrive a little more, thrive a little more and evidently ended up winning the championship. Um, wanted to ask you, like, what was your guess? Like concept or how would you build a team like what were you looking for in terms of of players you know their their character the way they played like was there a certain recipe you were always trying to have your teams be like um obviously the character thing i was i'm a big fan and i learned this from bob harley that it's trying to get good people and when you have good people that you know want to win they're willing to do whatever it takes to win that that could mean you know taking on different role and or doing the little things. And, and I mean, 
you go through a hockey career from from minor hockey going up and you you see guys that are talented but only look for their their points and stuff like that so to me it was always trying to find these guys that that you know whether it's point wise you know they're not looking for their points they're looking for the team to win um doing the little character stuff you know shot blocking uh communicating you know guys you can can work with that want to get better and um you see that during the game whether it's making a play taking a hit to make a play you know doing the unselfish things um the communication on the ice which is always you know especially as a d man a lot of times you ever back to the play so having guys that that communicate as far as the the skill set that that's needed to 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 build teams to have success i always thought it was sort of a, a puzzle you know and, and um, if you have those character guys that that know how to win you sort of build around them you make little adjustments here and there and sometimes they pan out sometimes they don't and when we look at even the nhl teams that win they they win because of their their depth and their character guys that are maybe in the third fourth line or that that fourth fifth d man that that do the extra and, and um the number one like i said has always been character what kind of what kind of person is this what kind of guy is this um so that's basically how i always looked at um the building of teams then obviously there you can get more into the details where does he play penalty kill power play uh position you know it's it's all it's all things that you have to consider is, is you know you need your shooting d man you need your puck moving d man you sort of need your shut down d man and these are all little uh chess pieces that you need to build and and whenever you have the right picks it's, it's fun to see because you know I, I think having 22 great picks is kind of difficult but if you can get 17 in there or the majority then usually the other guys follow and and in those teams we had in Beatingheim we always had uh great leadership experience and obviously also having Kevin there behind the bench who had won numerous championships too was just it was just a really good recipe one other thing i wanted to ask about that is you know obviously it's as you said getting 22 perfect guys who all understand what they need to be like that's you know sometimes is a, is a dream it's not it's not really realistic how would you and maybe kevin together or you and your coaching staff when you had a player that you felt it was the right piece but just needed to maybe understand hey you know i know you want to be this role but on this team you need to be this role and that's where you can help us be successful like sometimes it's hard for players to understand that like everybody wants to be the scorer they want to play power play get their points because evidently that normally means more money or other opportunities but sometimes there's guys who like personally in my experience like i i, I appreciate the third line guys or the fourth line guys because if they know their role correctly, they're just as, as valuable as as the top line guys. But sometimes it takes, you know, a little like talking to or for them to fully understand, hey, just because you're not going out there on the first power play and putting up points doesn't mean you're not as valuable to this team. Like, do you have any examples of that or like how you would address kind of uh, situations like that? Yeah, I mean, I, when you look back as a player, you always have sort of a an idea of what player you think you are. 
And uh, whether it's somebody you admired in the NHL or somebody growing up, you always think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm this type of defense. And, and certainly depending where you played in the past and maybe minor hockey or like maybe here in Germany where you were dominant and you think, yeah, well, I always put up points, you know, then for sure I'm an offensive guy. So I think there's, there's a lot of misconceptions of what players actually are. And I think there's always like a time where in a career it either makes click and you get it or you just go on your whole career thinking you're another type of player. So, um, again, going back to the character thing, if if you have a, a good person, well, it's somebody you can work with. There's guys that just always think, you know, well, I played minor hockey. I was first line, first power play. I should always be that even though maybe it's a higher leap now um but at the end of the day whether you're your coach or gm you want you want the best for your your player whether it's in the team or even for his career right so i think you see here in journey a lot of guys that get called up to the dl after having a successful year in the second league and what does success mean putting up points and then they go up to the DL and they're not in the first two lines or even the third on the fourth and it's more of a role. And now they're not willing to, to, to fulfill that role. So it's, again, it's, it's sort of a click that needs to happen within a player to, to realize, okay, this is what I am. This is what I have either, you know, I decide, okay, I go to the DL, maybe start out fourth line, third line, work my way up, grind it out, learn to play hockey the right way. <laughs> or uh, use it as an excuse I'm not getting the chance uh, and then say I'm going to go back down and you know second or third league have more fun and then I'll have my power play and just do whatever I want so um, at the end of the day the click doesn't always happen but I mean um, I remember a coach telling me uh, what type of player he thought I was and, and And I said, there's no way in hell I'm like like that person because I always envision, you know, a Mal McInnes or Scott Stevens or whatnot, whoever you admire. And then looking back and I was like, you know what? That guy was right, you know. As a big, bad skating defenseman who would put up points. So, uh, yeah, looking back, I think some coaches do have a clue of what type of player you are. And um, I think they mean it the right way when they try to guide you sort of to, to build your strength. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And sometimes, uh, you know, you don't realize that until after you're done playing or a couple of years down the road, when you look back and go, yeah, he was, he was right. He, he knew what he was talking about. I should have done this or I was this there. But another, another question I had for you was being an assistant coach and sport manager. So that's like, two different sides. Like you're, you're every day at the rink, you're doing practice, practice plans, meeting with players, video on the bench, traveling with the team. How are you able to also handle the sport manager side of it? You know, whether it's speaking with agents, going, either going scouting or scouting online. Obviously today, there's a lot of websites where there's a lot of good video where you can obviously scout players. Like, how are you able to balance, you know, both, both sides? Cause it's not an easy thing to do. I think the, the the scouting part I would because I'm running the D and at some point you're just used to you know you know how to run the D you, 
you, you have the feel for it. But during the game, you can sort of scout there too. I think you get a, a different view as well when you're down on the ice and you see the the body language and the, the players talk and everything. So it's sort of, I'd sort of try to get it done there. The harder part was really being between a managing director trying to run a team and what he thought, a coach that's, you know, thinks he sees one thing, then as the assistant coach, you're sort of also close to the players too. And you're really in the middle there. And there's discussions and conversations that happen behind the scenes that whether most of the players don't hear, the coaches don't hear, or the, even the managing directors don't hear. So I think trying to keep afloat between all of these power struggles and information, uh, that was probably the hardest thing to do. Uh, I don't think it's something I would do again, especially as an assistant coach. But um, looking back for me was the, the the best way to get into the hockey and, and just to, to, to learn every type of position as well. And uh, I mean, looking in, in Germany, I think second league, there's not that many you know, GM positions, mostly it's a coach and assistant coach. So for me, I just looked at it trying to get experience from, from all different sides, but it was certainly tough sometimes when you hear things and then you're dealing with, with you're just in the middle of everything, right? So uh, very difficult to, to sort out all the, the, the talks that are going on behind the scene. Yeah, that's... Uh... That's very true. Obviously, I've seen that too, being in kind of a similar situation. I will say, though, the the bench part, like, I give you a lot of credit. I mean, it just shows like how you're able to to scout because running a bench is not easy, like, especially if you're if you're new to it. Like, I know a lot of players, you know, they go, oh, yeah, when I'm done, I'll just be an assistant coach. And but like to be able to make these split second decisions um doing matchups knowing who's good against what unit kind of stuff like that controlling the bench like that's something i think some people are natural to it and it maybe comes quick but like someone like myself it took me a couple of years to kind of get the get the flow under understand like you know how to do it properly you know good communicating with the d positive but also like coaching them and for you to talk about being able to also you know running the d you know, winning championships, but also scouting other teams and knowing, like looking at players being like, Hey, this guy could fit on our team. This guy, maybe not like to me, that's shows a lot to your, uh, kind of like your hockey brain and how, how actually good, you know, everything functions towards that because it's not easy to, I know me personally, if I go, when I scout a game, if I have to look at, you know, two teams and scout both teams, you know, I got to take it period by period, like one team focus, one period focus on this team, next period focus on that team. So Obviously, you had a good good hockey mind for it, even with even with all those conkeys. <laughs> yeah, no, I think uh, it also goes back to the experience of being a forward till thirteen, then playing as a D man, and then also then you're 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 running a a, a a D group, which is it's only I mean six or seven players, which is uh, a little it's easier than running the forwards, obviously. But um, another thing that when I worked with Kevin, he just said, "You run the D." You know how it works uh, and just basically doing it that way, which everybody did their job, which I think that's how 
a good team works. Um, but also having the chance to, in the past, like I said, learn a bit from Claude Julien, learn a bit from, or actually really a lot from Bob Hartley, um, which I actually had the chance to meet again in 2017. And he had invited me to work with him uh, with the Latvian national team. So again, uh, he had a, he was coming off his uh, three years in Calgary. And again, going behind the bench with, with a guy like that, it's just soaking up all the information. And um, I mean, as far as running the D it's, it was sort of second nature because you were a D man your whole life and you sort of, have the feeling for the players as well. But it's the other thing, if you're picking the players, then you know what their strengths are, where you can play them. You sort of build your decor that way too. Well, you know, your top five, your number six, and share the ice time, who does what, and uh, who do you put in which situations. It just became normal. And then, like I said, being being close to the game, you get, you get a, a, a different feel from the opponent but also your own team, how they react. So you see the characters again, how, how some guys, you know, when things get tough, sort of turn a different way. So there's certainly advantages to, to being there close, close to the action. And obviously now you've, you've transitioned into the, the business world or the real world, as us hockey players would say. Um, but do you see it? Like, do you see yourself maybe in the future, like returning to hockey in some shape or form? Absolutely. I mean, like I like I was asked this year to do some color commentating in German. <laughs> so, uh, and, and I thought about it. Sure, absolutely. You know, my German's not perfect, but uh, just to be involved in the game and sort of, you know, talk talk about what I see and stuff like that. I think hockey's a passion that for me will never go away, and I'm sure for you it's the same same thing. You always miss it, no matter what, because you'll never get. Uh, that type of team atmosphere and uh, you know collectiveness to achieve a goal and, and once you get out of the business and go into the the real world, so to speak, you get close to it if you're lucky. But I think to really have uh, a group of guys come together to to achieve something, it's it's something that always sticks inside you. I always tell you people that whatever championship. I won, I can name you the name of every guy that was on that team just because you always sort of bond together um, during that time. But uh, I certainly don't rule it out. Uh, what I do right now is somewhat very similar as far as you're working with people. It's, I mean, now businesses, they, they don't see more management, they see more coaching as well. So all the experience previously working with sponsors, working on the business side, working with the players, agents or whatnot. It's the exact same thing that I'm doing right now, but it's instead of hockey, it's IT. So um, fast moving world. <laughs> also lots of changes, not trades, but changes within the IT world and uh, certainly keeps you on your toes and it's a lifelong learning business as well. If you want to be successful in it, and at the end, it's it's working with people, and and um, you know, if you're a part of the team, then you want to have those right characters on that team. Well, I think you've that's just kind of been your life. You've always been adjusting on the fly, um, 
living different places, different scenarios, speaking three languages. So you're always, you know, trying to improve your knowledge, whether it was in the, the hockey game on ice, behind the bench in management, and now obviously in IT. So I think that goes uh, a long way to show the type of person that you are. And obviously, you know, it's never, it's not always easy, but you're able to, you know, always persevere. Um, the last two questions I had for you, obviously you've touched on it a little bit with this one, but when you look back on your career, both, uh, you know, playing and, and coaching, like, did you ever picture, Hey, I would have had some, some sort of career like this, or was it all just, you know, kind of a dream to you and you look back and go, wow, like, that's crazy that I was able to accomplish all that. Absolutely. Uh, and, and that's something to be honest with you, I take, I take every day and a lot of people at work, they're like, they're like, you're, you're so laid back. You're like, you're, you're, you know, you respect everybody. And you're like, whether I'm talking with the CEO or, or, or whoever's changing the garbage at work, I'll treat them the same way. Um, but for sure, looking back, you know, I, I didn't have to work a day in my life until my first job, real job now when I turned 41. So that's a lot of years where a lot of people, you know, when, when you get into working in the real world, they can't say they've had that. And um, it's been a crazy ride and it's, there's a lot of luck involved in meeting the right people and, 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 you know, realizing when those people come in your path during your, your career, whether it is a nice hawk here or whatnot. And, and um, these are the people you have to realize, Hey, I can learn from this person, whether it was a, I can go back to junior a uh, Sean camp as, as head coach who coaches now the university of Guelph, um, you know, Bill Wilkinson who coached NCAA for 35 years, um, Claude Julien, even, you know, certainly Bob Hartley, who has had a huge influence in, in my career and somebody that I, I look up to very much. Uh, these are all people that sort of come in your path. And then, like I said, I, there was never really a plan to go this far, but it took me this far. And and um, right now, hockey's a, a big part of my life. And I think anybody that knows me knows that that's a passion that you carry with you all the time. There's some ups and downs and there's, good things and really bad things like that, that happen, whether it's injuries, you know, career ending injuries, but those are all, or getting cut your whole life, but that's, that's all a part of life. And, and I think uh, sort of makes you stronger and, and enjoy the good things there and, and that come through your path. I think that's, you raise a really good point and I'm guilty of it. And I, I'm sure there's so many people as well as, you know, treating, hockey whatever level it is minor hockey junior NCAA OHL pro like you're treating it as like it's a it's a job and it's a grind to do it but you know as you said you never worked a day in your life until the age of 41 like and that's what I feel like I definitely didn't cherish as much was you know I dreaded going to the gym sometimes or dreaded going to the rink when really it's like you know you're getting paid or you're paving your way to maybe get paid one day uh to play a sport you love and, and really it doesn't work like it's and now i look back and you know if i went to the gym at 10 that was too early for me like when i was playing and i always used to complain and now it's like i would go at 5 a.m every day if it meant i could play again because it's just so much fun you don't 
that understanding of being on a team, uh, the, com- the camaraderie, the locker room atmosphere, being at practice every day together, joking on the bus, like that's stuff that you can't get back. And, um, you know, for all those listening, like, I hope you do every week. We, we, we kind of harp on these things. I bring this argument up all the time because it is something that people get lost on. And then they look back when their career is done and go, Oh, I wish I had enjoyed that process more. I wish I had enjoyed college more, whatever it is. So, um, I'm happy that you, uh, that's how you approach life. Cause obviously it's a good way to do it. And as you said, it doesn't matter who you're talking to, you know, very laid back, easygoing person, always seem happy. The last question I have for you is when you look back on your younger self, so 16, 17, 18, what piece of advice or pieces of advice would you give to your younger self? And also to the, the younger generation look, uh, listening right now, you know, preparing for what's next in their in their hockey careers for sure get as as much information as you can get some guidance try to find the right person that could help you guide way i think i sort of made my way through uh like i said luck stubbornness uh resiliency timing whatnot probably a career that probably shouldn't have had but especially young and and don't get fooled by these like agents that are out there selling the dream and everything because the dream is, I don't know what the chances are of making to the NHL is probably 0.1% or whatnot, but, but just to to have as much information as you can to bring you on the right path. And that I think it's more up to the parents. The other thing is, is really the passion. You know, I think that's, that's the most important, thing important thing that has to keep you going and and i see a lot of kids that you know everybody tells you that this is the next great kid but the passion is not there so for sure uh like we talked about this is this is a game we play and and to bring that passion every day and to invest the time if it is your passion then invest as much time as you can i mean yeah, that last one, especially like investing the time because we, as I just said, like eventually you'll get to that point where you don't have any time left in the, in the playing atmosphere of it and you'll, you'll definitely miss it. But, uh, yeah, Mark, I appreciate you taking the time. Obviously, uh, you know, you had a very unique career, both, uh, playing and then uh, good experiences in the coaching world. And, you know, hopefully everyone listening will be able to take, uh, you know, what you've explained today, you shared your journey and be able to use it towards, uh, achieving their, their goals. So thank you again. Oh, appreciate you having me. And I think uh, uh, everybody listening out there, I think there's always a, a way to have a career, even if you're not supposed to. And, and if you believe in it and somehow never give up, whether it's, it's, it's as a player, even as a coach, you know, uh, whatever your aspirations are in the hockey world, go for it. Because once you're in it, it's the best time of your life. That is very true. So thanks again, Mark. And for those listening, juice and gel.